Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we get started, are you thinking of creating a podcast or are you a podcast host already? As a podcast strategist, I can help you to launch or relaunch a purposeful and profitable podcast, which will inspire, entertain and educate a global audience. Simply book in a one-to-one call with me right now via the Calendly link in the show notes and together we'll focus on the purpose of your podcast. Today on Focus on Why, I'm joined by David Charlton. Hello, David. How are you? Hi, Amy. Yep, I'm very good, thank you. And yeah, a big thanks for obviously for the invite onto the show as well. Really looking forward to it. Well, it's great to have a fellow podcaster on. Most definitely in a, a podcaster who started about the same time as yourself as well. We Yeah, we started on the journey together. Yeah, that was a long time ago, back in April 2020. Who knew? Who knew what that what was going to come ahead of us? Most definitely. <laughs> it's been a yeah, it's been an interesting journey, but uh yeah, a good one along the way. So tell me, what is it you're doing at the moment? So yeah, currently I support athletes from the, the talented youngster up to the, the professional international level athlete, trying to help them improve their performance, basically. And it's through developing their mental toughness. My role is uh, I'm a sports psychologist, so yeah, essentially, I use I use the skills from what evidence based practice and from from personal insights and experiences to, to help move them forward. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So, did you go into sports psychology at university? Or how did it start? Oh, right. No, um, I started with a basically I had a big life event. So in 2007, my my wife sadly got diagnosed with cancer, Um, had a really difficult 15 months. And yeah, she she died in the November 2008. During that period of time, it was obviously a deep reflective period. Um, I recognised that selfishly in in some ways, and it didn't sit well with me at the time, but I was going to have a future obviously she she wasn't and you only get one shot at life ultimately um so during that period I was thinking about well right how do how do I want to live my life going forwards and I thought about a career change I did a yeah I did an open university course because I'd taken some time off work to to fill in some some time at that point anyway like fast forward to 2009 so what nine months after she she died naturally I was grieving I was it was it was a really difficult time however I was I was made redundant from my job and decision time was was there it was a case of do you stick in the same line of industry which was the travel industry at the time or do I twist and you know go down this new path so I took the the very um, courageous decision, we'll say, <laughs> um, without swearing. Um, and 
yeah, went down this path. And um, yeah, I, d- I don't regret it for, for one instant, but it certainly had its interesting times. <laughs> so what was the first thing you did when you went down this different path? What, what was the first step? Yeah, so I went to Sunderland University and did a psychology degree. So I did it full time. So you can imagine you're in your mid-30s and you're around a, what, a bunch of 18, 19-year-olds. You're grieving. You're not in the best place mentally. That was It was quite exhausting. And I had to ask myself, question myself an awful lot and seek as much support as I could really during that period of time. I wasn't, I think in my own mind, I I wasn't sure whether I could, I could do it. Um, every, you know, every day there was a, an element of doubt there. Even, you know, you get good grades, um, decent grades in the first year, decent grades in the second year. I'd still be questioning whether I could do it in the third year. Um, and that continued. I got the actually got the degree. Then I went on to do a master's degree and still had the same doubts. <laughs> and um, got the master's degree. And then you do a, a two-year supervised practice period as a to, to get chartered as a sports psychologist. So there was like a seven-year journey to get chartered. Um, I suppose I had the end. I, I knew what the end looked like up to a point, or I thought I did, um, was getting the chartered status. But then it all, it, okay, you get the chartered status, but there's still many challenges after that as well. And is it an area where it's quite competitive to get jobs? Well, this was one of the, the difficulties I had. So when I when I was doing the I'm trying to think, when I was doing the degree in the third year, you, you get optional modules. And I did sports psychology and I also did occupational psychology. And I really enjoyed the occupational side. And it had links, I suppose, with my previous work. So I was right, do I go down occupational or sport and I followed the heart ultimately but I knew if I went down occupational it would likely be I could probably pick up a job quite easily and a a steady job so in sport at that time you've got a there's a jobs website on UK sport there was probably one job every two to three months would actually come up so it was how am I going to make this work well, I wasn't really worried about that at the time. I was just like, let's just get there and then we'll worry about it. But now, if you look at that same website, the field sports psychology has grown exponentially and um, there's probably, you know, three or four jobs each week on there. So it's a, it is a, it's a, what, a thriving field. And I, I think with COVID, it's opened up even more um, opportunities as well. I know, I know certainly... From my my side, my business has changed dramatically in the last two years because of COVID um, for for the better. So yeah, it's a exciting times ahead, I think, in, in the field of sports psychology. So I asked you why you started in terms of how or how the how you started, but let's go to the why you started. Yeah, um, pretty easy, really. It's to to make a positive difference to to people's lives. And as I alluded, it's it could be the youngster up to the the professional level athlete. I think where you know whether the youngster that part comes into it is personally, I was a I was a very quiet, shy child. 
Um, didn't have much confidence at all. And I was a I was quite a talented golfer. And because of the the lack of confidence, it, it meant I didn't really, I didn't push on once I got to what the age of 16, 17. Um, I then get in, I got into some football coaching. And again, I got had some setbacks, some knockbacks along the way, and I didn't respond very well to them. So that that that's sort of how it how it shaped. So so essentially, I'm just I'm, I'm really you know trying to help people reach their potential, and that could be through what individual work, could be through group workshops, producing content you know through my podcast that that makes a a big difference. One if one podcast changes one person's life, then you know happy days. And I've been blogging now weekly for about three three to four years. So again, the the blogs make a make a big difference. Tell me about the podcast because we we both reached into that medium to explore how we can affect change and make a difference in the world. What was your intention specifically with the podcast medium? So I think when when you go into it, um, you you are a little bit naive, I suppose. Um, I, I did my research, or I thought I did. Um, I recognised it was a, a growing sort of avenue, if you like, to to be able to showcase your business and also affect change what I, I didn't realize how much in all honesty until now two two years in yeah my, my podcast's what's called demystifying mental toughness so you know when, when people think of the words mental toughness they they often think you've got to grind things out and you've got to be very committed and serious like and if there's difficulties just get your head down and I wanted to change the people's thoughts around that it's not about that you've you know self-care is an important factor also I think that those words that they're quite egocentric and macho and I wanted again to shift that you know there's plenty of female people that ladies out there who are mentally tough and have, have gone through difficult times and, and prospered so yeah I just wanted to to ultimately to to help people in that way and, and educate them properly and um, get away from the fake news um, <laughs> scenario. And talented in golf, did you ever pursue it or did you let it go? I still play now. And the, again, the, the funny thing is here, when I was younger, I probably played six, seven days a week and I, I would practice till my hands bled. Basically, I was desperate to, you know, to do well. And um, now I play what once a week, maybe sometimes once a fortnight, and actually play to a better level now than I did then. And again, I, I think that there's that link with with mental toughness. And in some respects, you know, it's great to be committed and have that desire to do what you want to do. However, there's got to be a balance there, and I, ultimately, I put far too much pressure on myself. And then the fact that I, I did work so hard, it sort of, it made me tense up like physically. So, and then mentally, and I suppose the, what well, the, the glass of water, if you like, if that's, if people were to paint a picture of a glass of water and that being your thoughts, my glass was, well, right to the very top and overflowing most of the time because I was giving it so much and trying so hard, thinking about it so much. And it's it's a pattern I see that every day in, in my work. So 
I've got you know quite a few tools now to be able to help people just to, to calm down a little bit and um, take, take their time and then look after themselves a bit better and trust themselves ultimately. So the stick or twist moment that you had of whether to stay in travel and, and work in that industry or to twist and, and take the, the punt, did it pay off? Yeah, and as I say, I love what I do. Um, it certainly has been no no straight, easy curve. You know, it, it's been very, very difficult. Um, as I say, I got the I got the bit of paper and thought, yeah, great. Um, but nobody prepares you for actually getting the bit of paper. And yeah, the, in the in the I think there's a bit of a gap actually. To be honest, in the in the training there, where they, they don't they don't necessarily help you have the like the business skills in order to then go on and you know gain the clients unless you you end up working in a university setting or you actually you know, you're fortunate enough to to get a job but then the competition is is really really fierce so yeah I've I suppose I've sent spent the last six years always upskilling and trying to stay current when it comes down to helping develop and grow my business and I suppose that you know as a result I I supervise a, a number of sports psychologists in training and I'm I'm really passionate about the trying to help them because I know the difficulties I had in those earlier years and you know trying to help again make a positive difference with them sharing my experiences certainly from the, the business angle and podcasting is definitely one of those positives um, in order to to get your name out there and people to understand more about your work so tell me some of the ripple effects that have happened as a result of the podcast david oh where, where, where do we start i think you know you a, a, a classic one would be you know i've interviewed a, a variety of people in in australia be it psychologists coaches um diff, different sort of mentors in that way and you know, as a as a result, you you end up tapping into that market, and in some respects, their network, and yeah, that gave that's gained me some some leads and some positive conversations. Um, but not, I suppose. Then I can remember actually one. I was talking about Australia there. One conversation I had was with a with a cricket coach, and it ended up where I didn't get the work. Um, but I passed it on to one of my trainees and this was free free work this was for one of my trainees to do he ended up doing a, a number of workshops and one-to-one work so he's having, having a positive influence on probably in the region of about 50 to, to 100 lives so indirectly yeah that podcast has done that um, and I'm physically not I suppose to leave uh, making that change but it's 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 happened and that's that sort of thing has happened on a number of occasions and the purpose piece david how important do you believe purpose is to your work Ooh, um well it's very easy to go through days where you're what you you're operating at 60 70 percent um but then you're not in my eyes you're not doing yourself justice or nor the people that you're serving justice. So it's absolutely, yeah, it's it's huge as the as the purpose piece. And for me to 
to find my purpose. It, it's a case of looking at my values, so my core values, the business's core values, and then keep going back to that from time to time because things shift. Um, we've obviously we've had COVID. I'm now happily married with a with a four year old and a six year old, and the the goalposts keep changing um, with with the way um, what life presents itself with with the, with them and their you know the, the things they're learning and um, their their interests. So you've got to keep adapting and then, but always going back to your core interests, uh, sorry, your core values to make sure that they're aligned. And yeah, let, let's be honest, you are going to have periods where you are a little bit out of sync, but recognizing that and then making a few changes is the, is the important part to again, make that positive difference to, to other people and like, essentially be happy in yourself as well. And tell me, share with us your core values. Yeah, so I've got five written down here. Um, we've got exploration, we've got challenge, excellence, and then I've got family and health. So do you want me to tell you a little bit more about some of those? Yeah, where would you say, if, if you had to pick one, which one would be the one that's at the top that sort of sits above all the others? It's, I would say it's actually health, really. Um, you've got you don't have anything with without your health. Obviously, I've been through it with with my wife and and, and losing her. Um, and yeah, I mean the impact that then had on myself and other people around us. Um, and you've got you know you've got your physical health, but you've you've got your mental health as well, and the two are are very closely linked. Personally, I mean, I've I I use running as a as a way to get me through the the really difficult period. But then I think as a result, I physically taxed my body too much, and then I've got a I've had a, a back problems really for the last ten years, which because I'm really active, mentioned about exploring and getting out there, and and it it sort of it's, it's had I've had periods in my the last 10 years where I haven't been able to do that sort of thing, which then obviously impacts your mental health. And then you've got to find solutions to overcome that. And do you think, had you not had that life event, David, that you probably wouldn't be doing any of this and be as aware of your physical and mental health the way you are? Yeah. Um, well, without doubt, I mean, you've got the life event and then making the decision to, to make the change. And then obviously the training and the the work experience that that comes with it. I mean, I, I did I did have an interest in the field initially, but but yeah, I think I think you know the you you learn so much during the the education from. I initially did like an NLP course um, when I, when I first got going, and I've always been an avid follower of Tony Robbins since my early twenties, so picked up like loads from him. But when we're going into healthier, one model I come back to time and time again from my my undergraduate degree is it's around self determination theory, and it you've got three basic psychological needs. You've got the need for autonomy, so essentially having some control over your your life and your destiny. You've got the need for competence, so trying to master tasks. And the need for relatedness, 
so being connected to to other people and that that sort of sense of belonging there and if you can get a nice balance between the three then you'll generally be in in kilt so I, yeah, I always keep going back to that if, I, if I'm having a period where I'm struggling. And the, yeah, there's certainly been a few of those. I love that. And explain to me what exploration, challenge, excellence, family and health, what they each mean to you. So exploration would be traveling. It would be cooking and like eating different foods. Um in COVID times when we were locked down, exploration was was tricky, <laughs> to say the least. But for me, it was, right, okay, we can go out and do some exercise. Right, where will I run today? And then I would find 25 different runs within a two or three mile radius. Um, so that was, that was exploration then. The challenge bit has changed. It used to be to, to really... I suppose it was the physical challenge. I mentioned about running. I did I did a marathon when when Alex was ill. Then I went on and do did two more um, until the, the back problems uh, came along. So that was like the physical challenge. But then the I think really what I've ended up doing unconsciously in some ways is with the business and the career change. Really, that that has been the challenge to make that a, a success. Um, which is where the excellence ties in quite nice, quite nicely, is being excellent at what I do um, in in every every aspect, and you know being being efficient in that angle, and also when it comes down to like serving the people, my clients is making sure I give an excellent service as well. I think working in the travel industry and being on the the side of of watching people give appalling customer service that's definitely had a, a sh- shaped my 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 sort of my experiences and my, my my perspective around that family is is about yeah my my wife and kids and getting a really and get, getting a nice balance between you know between work and life so you you work to live ultimately um, as opposed to to living to work because yeah I know certainly I've fallen into that trap in the in the past and the, yeah the health piece I think we have we touched on the health piece already um yeah, it, yeah. Ultim- as I say that for me you know physical and mental health is you've got you don't have anything if you if you haven't got that so go back to that work to live element so you choose work that you enjoy to live your life because a lot of people would say work to live or live to work so which some people can see that from different perspectives if you think about it so it's a case of are you focused all on work or are you focused all on on life and on living but actually you can enjoy equal amounts if you love what you do then how where do you draw where do you have your boundaries so yeah it's a good question that one is um so if, well, if we consider the the work element, so what you can do is you can write a list down, can't you, of the tasks that you enjoy doing. And if then if you're in a fortunate enough position for the tasks that you don't enjoy doing and you've listed that down, you can find a, a VA or you can find some support to be able to, to help you with those tasks. That's a That's a potential solution for people. In terms of the 
the again the what the the working to live part I've, I've just recently decided to to cut my hours down to a, a four-day week so I can get a, a better balance because things have been a little bit out of kilt recently so you've got again you can shape it you can really essentially try and con- control as I say control your destiny if you like and and get a get a handle on on things um you can I suppose from hindsight there's there's going to be times where you may need to work harder during specific periods of time and then ease off at different times so having a degree of flexibility there or, or building that into your the, the way you do work I think is a is is important and and can be very helpful for people. But then, if you if if you're not what like if you're not employed, if you are sorry, if you are employed by a company, it might be more difficult for you. So you you possibly wouldn't have a clue where I'm coming from. <laughs> so let's look at the types of people you work with, David. You said from sort of youngest ages through to professional level. Now your children must fit into that youngest categories, the four and six at the moment, maybe a little bit younger, but are they showing an interest in sport? Are they looking, are they going to be a future champion, do you think? Well, put it this way, I'm not parenting like what Serena Williams' dad did, or Tiger Woods' dad. Um, They they weren't shipping golf balls into a washing machine at 18 months. Um, or Andre Agassi. I know. I know that Andre Agassi's dad had the the sort of table tennis bats taped to their wrists in the cot, you know, to hit hit the, the mobiles above them. So, and Definitely. then he went on to t- tennis. Yeah, no, I'm I'm far from parenting like that. Um, so so yeah, I mean, the kids see me. I talk about sport. I watch sport. Um, I, partake in sport and I you know I'm I'm pretty fit with the activities I do so I suppose I'm a role model in that sense in what I do but I certainly don't um tell them right they must do that I'll give them opportunities to to try different things um I think I suppose our only non-negotiable at the moment rightly or wrongly is swimming just because we think it's a you need to be able to swim to, yeah, it's, some parents would disagree, but yeah, that's that's the way we're doing it. And uh, yeah, I suppose the the danger I find when, when I'm talking to parents about this sort of thing is there's so many things that kids can be doing, and a trap that many parents can get into seems to be that they'll they'll have their kids in pretty much some sort of activity most nights of the week, and that's born out of the fact that they're looking over their shoulders and seeing another parent's doing that and another parent and it becomes a bit of a, a competition in that way um so I suppose we're trying to do it as slightly differently and because I mean I suppose our argument would be the when they're at school they're, they're sort of stressed to a degree um that you know they're, they're getting told what it is that they have to do so trying to just get a get a balance there where we'll gently encourage them and let them try things and let them explore and have a bit of fun in the process and then what will what will be will be and you mentioned the self-determination needs was it that you learned in 
Yes. So it was, yeah, it was through self-determination theory. You've got the basic theory. psychological needs. What other theories or or have, have given you the most impact in your own living? So not just at your work side, but the psychology of understanding from a, a mental toughness perspective or from a, a mental awareness, what, what's really been a useful tool that others could probably adopt? So, well, from from a podcast, really, it's based around Professor Peter Clough's work, which is the, the four C's, mental toughness framework. So in there, you've got commitment, you've got control, you've got challenge, and you have got confidence. And then it's broken down into two sub-measures for each of those, the, each of each of those elements. So for commitment, you've got goal orientation and achievement orientation. Challenge, you've got risk orientation and learning orientation. Confidence, you've got confidence in your ability, and then you have interpersonal confidence. And then control is life control and emotional control. I like it. It's quite a it's quite a simple model, and you can you can do a psychometric um, where you can measure where you are on the, on that scale. And you, you, well, people will people will naturally think if you're more mentally tough, then you're going to perform better, or you're going to be. There's research to say that you'll your well being is going to be you're going to have a better attitude. I suppose more positive attitude, so your well being is going to be enhanced. However, what I've, certainly what I've learned from my work, you could be off the Richter scale, 10 out of 10 for your mental toughness. But if you have absolutely no self-awareness, you'll probably burn yourself out. You'll commit to too much. You'll, you'll upset people um, because you'll be overconfident and potentially quite arrogant with it. People will not be able to read you because you're, you're so in control of your emotions. Um, so you need self-awareness to to help yourself um but then the flip side is if you're not if you're not fully mentally tough so if you're mentally sensitive so i'll get that one in as well another myth is people would assume mental weakness which i hate that term mental sensitive is at the other scale and the mentally sensitive person again if they've got if they're self-aware and they recognize that they maybe set the wrong goals or they're not quite confident in specific areas, then they can make some changes and they can adapt their their life around that. Um, and there's there's you know there's lots of mentally sensitive people out there who are quite creative and can bring a, an awful lot to a to a workplace or a, if they're in a in a small business. So how much, David, is the the percentage? Is is there a a kind of a a number that you can give me probably not but if you're measuring performance is there a physical versus mental spectrum so the, the, certainly from the research that they've done in business health education sport they say that there's a 20 mental toughness has basically got a 25 percent variation in performance which which i can i can see because I'll, I'll give you an example, a, a problem that, that I've come across with probably 99% of my clients would be if you start getting into goal setting, 
what are your goals? And instantly they'll be extrinsic and outcome-based. And, okay, that that's fine to a degree, but you need to have a, a, a balance there. Um, you, you need to have intrinsic goals, goals which are under your control. So we, we call them process goals in, in sports psychology. So, you know, for, I'll give you an example. Um, we go with a... We'll, we'll go with a footballer for argument's sake. So we have a, a centre-forward who they're a goal scorer in, in football. If I was to ask them, you know, what, they, what their goal or goals are for the, the season ahead, they would maybe say, oh, I want to score 30 goals. If, if I was to break it down and say, well, what, what, are, your, what are your goals for this next match? I, I want the team to win. I want to score two goals. And so they're external, extrinsic factors. So if I'm shifting it to intrinsic goals, I would be, well, right, you as a centre forward, what do you do with your best? And they would likely tell me, well, I demand the ball, I open my mouth and communicate, um, or I, I move into the, the right spaces, I've got lots of energy. So process goals there, intrinsic goals are, well, right, you need to open your mouth and we'll get you to rate yourself out of, on a one to 10 as to how well you have demanded the ball and opened your mouth. We'll rate you on a scale of one to 10 during that match for your movement and getting into spaces so you can receive the ball. And it's really quite, quite simple in some ways, because if they do them two things, they're going to create more opportunities for themselves and their team. And it's, it, it's happy days, but that's a, that's just a simple way, I suppose, of describing it. So when you're working with athletes, especially in a team environment, you may be working with an individual, but unless I guess that the the alignment of the other team members are understanding what you're doing, is it as effective if it's just the individual? So what, what you would do is you would look at their expectation levels and get them to try and place themselves in the shoes of their teammates in their shoe, the shoes of the opposition, the shoes of the coaching staff and help them understand their ways of thinking, why they behave the way they do in, in lots of sports. I think with the emotion involved in sport, there's a lot of criticism and, and being able to handle criticism is vital. Otherwise you're not going to prosper. And I mean, the higher up you go into professional sport it's 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 there more and more being able to mention about interpersonal confidence being able to really stand up for yourself and back yourself is massively important yeah I would say if you don't have that and you're going into a professional sport environment then unfortunately you're you're not you're not going to make it um and the, the clubs in general I don't feel actually give them adequate support to be able to develop those interpersonal qualities. Um, stick my neck out on that. And it's interesting you talk about backing yourself and 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 recognizing how to take on board criticism. We're talking about sort of external criticism and, and comments that are made. The self-talk clearly is is really important. You know what you're saying to yourself, and then being able to to communicate really positive language to yourself both 
internally but also externally as a professional speaker you that sits alongside being a professional sportsman yeah it's actually quite interesting what you said there as well about positive positive self-talk so I think what you'll what you'll generally find with in most fields whether you're a sportsman a business person someone who's striving for excellence more than likely does have a large inner critic there and that that can be a good thing it can drive them on to to keep to to reflect on their work to to then motivate them the next day to to get better um it however and and yeah positive you know positive self-talk in the face of criticism is a useful thing but i suppose what i've learned from my work Having a degree of emotional flexibility also is really important. So if I was looking at a specific situation where someone's being criticized, I would I would turn around into the positive role, right? What are you going to say to yourself? Or what would what would a like your role model say in this specific situation? But I would also look at it from a, a mindful angle. So if you were being present moment focused, what would you say to yourself? Because often people will will get stuck. They'll be in the past. They'll be dwelling on that criticism, and then they'll flip forward to the future where they'll they'll be overwhelmed and be worried about what's going to happen in thirty minutes' time or the next time they perform. And then they're back to the past, and they flip backwards and forwards between past and future, and they can never get themselves in the moment. And then thirdly, if we're talking about emotional flexibility and a, a great a great bit of work, there's a lady called Kristen Neff, um, based in the States. She does stuff around self-compassionate focused therapy. So being, being able to be self-compassionate to yourself, is that's a skill in itself as well. And I think that can really help people deal with criticism. So I'll give you an example. If if you've been criticized by someone, then it's very easy for your inner dialogue to be very critical as well. So if you think about the tone in your voice, it can be quite harsh. Often it might that might be like an unconscious reaction from, from many years ago from your parents. So being able to switch that tone so it's a caring, compassionate tone, and as well as the actual language is a you know, is, is a skill and I think anybody in any walk of life can can really benefit from. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm glad I asked. It's really, really interesting to go into the emotional flexibility side of things. And also I love the Professor Peter Clough's four C's model. I think that's something that we could all take on board and, and have, even if there is a, you said, you said there's a psychometric test measure. Is that available to anyone? Is that, was that free or is that something you'd have to pay for? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I suppose I'll do the sales pitch if people <laughs> if people want to get in touch. And yeah, I can quite happily put them through an MP, MTQ measure. It, it does it does cost, but yeah, it, take, it takes about about ninety minutes in all to to go through a proper feedback session, and yeah, is is hugely valuable. Yeah, I can see that the value in that for sure, David. It's been a pleasure exploring your why and. I don't I didn't say it at the time, but I, I was 
really sad to hear about your first wife passing away that I mean that was that must have been horrendous and yeah it's it's a difficult moment but as I can see you know it's been a case of you evolving into a new area in life and and there will be so many people who have now benefited from your work so it is this is what what happens with the purpose piece you know it does tend to happen as a result of a catalyst or a a life event that really does shake us to the core and changes our course of of direction so yeah thank you for sharing your why today yeah, no, yeah, thank you. You've you've just given me some goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, I think you know I was I was guilty of in the past of like running away from problems. I suppose it it really taught me to, that I had I didn't have anywhere to hide there. I had to really deal with that. And then they, we talk about control and the controllables in in sports psychology, and that was the 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 big, I suppose, if there's a takeaway from this conversation, that that is it, is, you know, try and look at what it is that's under your control, what is out of your control, and then make sure you focus all your attention and energy on what you can control, and you can, you might be able to make it happen. Um, There's certainly no reason why not. There's only you potentially stopping yourself. Wow. And you mentioned earlier the psychometric test that you could run through with people, which is brilliant. What else would people get in contact with you for, David, and how could they get in contact with you? So I'm on all of the social media channels for, for starters. I'll not, I'll not reel them all off. Um, probably the, the, the two easiest ones would be Instagram, where I'm under Mental Toughness Matters. And then on LinkedIn, if you search for David Charlton and sports psychology you'll you'd find me um and yeah please you know check out my podcast there called demystifying mental toughness it's on apple and spotify and 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 all of the like it it is i suppose it is a largely sporting podcast but there are overlaps into business as well on, on occasions too so yeah as i say i like you know really appreciate you let me come on to the your fantastic podcast, Amy. I've you know, really thoroughly enjoyed it. That's been a fabulous conversation. And absolutely, please go and check out Demystifying Mental Toughness and connect with David on LinkedIn and Instagram for sure. I'll put all of the links into the show notes so that people can find those easily. David, once again, thank you. And goosebumps are, are a good thing that they serve us well. I've been talking about goosebumps on many episodes recently, so it, it doesn't surprise me at all that it comes up again when we're talking about purpose. So have you got some final words for us, David? Final words? Yep, yeah, you do only have one shot at life, so let's embrace it, put some energy, some enthusiasm into it, and. Yeah, go for it. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.